Hello there, listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am your host CC Wang, and you're listening to my interview podcast, where I chat with people from all walks of life to hear their stories and to share insights we can all learn from. Now, for today's episode, let me introduce you to a very special guest, Beatrice Pisano. Beatrice is the founder and artistic director of Aluna Theatre. She is a Colombian-born, award-winning artist and has been called one of Canada's most important Latin Canadian writer-directors. Now, in 2001, due to the lack of cultural diversity on Canadian stages, Beatrice struggled to find work as a woman of color. But she didn't give up there and instead opened up her own nonprofit theatre and called it Aluna. Over time, in addition to her own shows. Beatrice turned Aluna into a platform for other diverse artists to showcase their work as well. Beatrice has overcome many challenges in her journey from Colombia all the way to the spotlight in Canada, and is an inspiring voice in the theater world. All this makes me want to get to know her better as a person. So, without further ado, Beatrice, welcome. Oh, <laughs> welcome, Cici. Thank you for that introduction and uh, and this. Suddenly, I got very emotional. You know, remembering a journey is 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 you know there are things that you kind of forget.、Uh, but、uh, let's see, it's been a long journey and it's an old journey. <laughs> I got here in 1979, and I was coming here to do、uh, my degree at.、Uh, I arrived in Vancouver. I was just gonna come here and study, and then I was gonna go back to Colombia. And I wanted to be a dancer. That was my dream, and so I had to make a deal with my father because he thought the arts. No, no, no. <laughs> he thought no. Get a real degree. So we made a deal. We made a deal that I would get a real career. So I, I studied um, um, arts with a, a major in psychology at UBC in Vancouver. And I was also studying at Simon Fraser University, taking some courses there. And at night, I was dancing, and uh, uh, I was dancing ballet and modern dance in the studio.、Uh, it was called Harbor Harbor Front Center. I actually visited my old ballet teacher. She's now in her seventies, and I, I was in Vancouver、uh, prior to the pandemic. That 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 January was kind of.、Um, A very emotional trip going back to Vancouver after so many years, and、uh, I went to visit the studio, and she was still there dancing, and、uh, it was very beautiful to watch that. But yeah, so that was my my plan, and then you know life happens. After the first year of being here, I really the first year was really hard. You know, of course, the cultural shock.、Um, I arrived, and and because I had gone to a bilingual school in Colombia, I could understand. But I was very shy. I couldn't speak, and so fortunately, in most of my classes at school, I was just taking notes and doing a lot of was multiple choice exams. You know, there were no essays until I moved to Simon Fraser, and started taking our classes. And then there were a lot of essays that we had to write. And、um, although it was really hard, because you know, you you I remember that I had come with my、uh, I had married.、Uh, My high school sweetheart. That's why I ended up in Vancouver, and I arrived and I was very young. I was nineteen, and and、uh, and so you know, being from traditional Colombian families, you know, when you get married, you have all these clothes. You know, they 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 you know they send you 
abroad with, you know, suitcases full of things. And that's so I dressed really well. So I would go to school and I remember that I wasn't used to people not saying hello to you, you know, sitting in a class with you and not saying hello, seeing you in a, in a corridor and not saying hello. So I was going, maybe it's the way I'm dressing. So I started to dress down and, and uh, it was just, a, it, that was a very, uh, for me, a, a huge cultural shock, right? That I come from a culture where people, if you see somebody, you just say hello, you know, even, yeah. uh, you know, uh, and so those things were hard to get used to, but at the same time, I felt an incredible freedom. I realized that I could work in anything and I could make my own money, you know, and that was a big thing for me. I remember my father saying, you're not free from me until, you know, as long as I pay for, for you, your living. And I went, oh, okay, okay, I'll do something about it. And I got a job. I was very fortunate. I got a job as a research assistant for the dean of the of the of the of the psychology department at uh, UBC, and it was also very unusual because I only had a student visa, and but they still allow me to work. So I started to feel this incredible—I don't know—I was just I started to fall in love with the place, and uh, and I was studying. You know, I was keeping my deal, mm -hmm. but at nights I was going and I was dancing, and I was like, oh, that was my life completely. I wanted to dance so badly, but. But then life had another other plans, right? And and unfortunately, I got very sick with a cancer, yeah. and um, which was in my leg, which of all places for a dancer. So, um, so that was the end of it. And uh, so I I was very lost. I said, what do I do? Um, I mean, again, like, like I am the most fortunate person on earth because although I had something a, a very aggressive cancer, my particular case had localized, you know, was localized and was behaving differently from how it would usually uh, behave. So they were able to save my leg. That was something else. But I, I realized that my life had changed, although I kept going. I went back to the studio and I kept dancing. But for the first year, I couldn't walk. Right. But one day I went to the studio and, and you know, and my ballet teacher said, you never have to pay for a dance class ever again. And I started very slowly at the bar. I said, if I can do five minutes, I've done really well. And that's how I began because they told me I would never walk again without a cane. And I said, no, that's not me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so at the time, now might be a, another story. So I started going and dance gave me back my life. And I started like, you know, after a year of not being able to walk, I started walking slowly, you know, but uh, but I also realized that, yes, that as a, as a profession could no longer be. And before I started dancing, I really wanted to be an actor. Again, my father in Colombia was horrified. No, no, <laughs> an actor, no. But so I started taking classes and Vancouver at the time, um, it was also the, the Americans were starting to film in Vancouver and the industry was growing. And I started to work right away, basically. And I was working a lot and learning. I was like, I love being on the set. And I was taking classes and training. And uh, that's how kind of, you know, I started in the world of acting. And then what happened? I mean, um, 
Then I moved to Toronto, like after 10 years of living in Vancouver. And I came to Toronto because I knew that if I wanted to work in theater for real, I needed to come to Toronto. And I felt that being a woman of color uh, in Vancouver at that time was really hard. Hmm. Was really hard. You had limited roles, right? Oh, my God. And just the opportunities. I was like a... Vancouver at the time, I cannot talk about Vancouver now because it's been a long time, but it was like, no, there was no, there were no roles or anything. And so the play that I did in Vancouver, I produced it myself, Mm. you know, for one of the fringes or something, one of those festivals. So I said, okay, I'll produce it, which means that I can act and do whatever I want. Uh, But when I arrived in Toronto, all the doors opened for Mm -hmm. me. And I felt I was home. Because Toronto was way more diverse, I'm guessing, the landscape itself. Yes. And people in Vancouver were telling me like, oh, people in Toronto are horrible. I loved it. <laughs> Everybody was saying hello to me. I would call producers and said, um, I'm an actress. I just moved from Vancouver. I would like to meet you. And like, and everybody was meeting me. I don't know if that would happen now, but <laughs> everybody was giving me like appointments, you know, casting directors and that to see me. And everything began to happen for me here. Like I started to book a lot of work on film and TV, a lot. Um, and um, but I really and I started to see a lot of theater. And I was I wanted so badly to work in theater in this town. But again, I started auditioning, and many people would say, "We love what you do, but we don't know how to justify someone with an accent." Oh. And I was going, but everybody in this town has an accent. So I just said, no, I want to be on stage. And then I thought, well, how difficult could it be to write a play? And, you know, you know, so I started to write a play. I had never done it. And then I, then I said, how difficult could it be to produce it? I had never done it. And that's the most beautiful thing of like, You have no fear because I believe so much in what I had to say that I just went for it. And I was lucky. I got some grants and I put a team together and we did this huge play. And before I did the play, I was like, okay, I was tired. I was catering, doing whatever job you could to survive. And, um, and I love them all. I, I, I really, like I say, like, um, I have enjoyed absolutely everything that I've done. Catering was, was you know, I, I met a lot of friends. A lot of them were people in the arts who were trying to, you know, make a living. And so I had a lot of fun. And, and, and um, But, you know, I still wanted to do theater. And uh, so I, I'm thinking how to do that. And then I went, oh, no, maybe maybe this is not. I'm quitting. I'm quitting. And as I'm saying I'm quitting, I'm in the shower, I get a call from Vancouver, from Vancouver from a producer, and they said to me that uh, there were a company who were doing a documentary in Colombia in the war zone, and they needed somebody to be an interpreter for them. Okay. They were following the work of Peace Brigades International, and uh, which are human rights activists from all over the world that, that, uh, that come to protect no, they're, they're, they're activists who come to protect as, as human shields any of the uh, human rights activists who have death threats. And in Colombia, the time was bad. This is the, the year 2000 around that time. And Colombia is in a terrible, 
terrible state. Uh, the armed conflict has intensified. The massacres. Um, anybody who's a human rights activist is 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 going to be killed. I mean that is still unfortunately unfortunately still happening. So I said, oh my God, do they pay? And they say yes. <laughs> so I went. And that changed my life because it was going back to my country after a long time. And it was coming and, and translating that country to this Canadian crew. And I got to, we were taking these communities that had been displaced from the armed conflict from, and they had survived massacres. So I was talking to those real people and, uh, and, and the work was so amazing that I came back and I said, like, I have to speak about what's going on in Colombia because all these wars in the Americas, these armed conflicts and that they have a lot of to do with all these, um, you know, corporations and their investments, mining and all of this, right? So Canada is very involved, maybe not directly, but indirectly, you know. I, I wanted to tell that story. So I got a team of people together. I wasn't supposed to direct the piece, but the director that I had didn't work out. Uh, so I ended up writing directing, acting, producing, never to be done again. That's it. But it was amazing. Amazing. We did something that we believed in every night. There there was one time we had two people in the audience. That was it. Nobody knew us, you know. But I said, who cares? We're going on. And uh, for some reason, <laughs> we got nominated for three Doras, which are the theater awards. And we won two of them. And that changed completely. And I had to register the company before we did that play. So I said, okay, I'm going to register Aluna Theater. So that's how Aluna is born. Mm -hmm. And of course, after the success of the play, all the theaters were calling me, you know, to invite me to do a residency, you know, internships. And and I took it all. I took it all to learn and uh, and to... I knew I was a very different voice. There were like, I don't think there were any Latinx artists like myself um, working that much, maybe like two or three, especially in theater. And so, especially because there's such different levels. It's very different to be born here and raised here, even if you come from another place, as to be an immigrant and even a refugee is a very different experience. Um, and for me, like working at Aluna for the last 20 years, I have I work a lot with refugees, immigrants and people who are Latinx but are born here. And um, and 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 I know the difference, the very clear difference. And um, so the company was born from a desire to create open space for diversity. You know, like I look back at our mandate and it was like. Yes, Latin American, but I think the mandate is to address the the underrepresentation and misrepresentation of diversity on our, our stages and to uh, promote the work of women, of Latin American artists and women, mm-hmm. and uh, and that hasn't changed. That has evolved, because you know the beautiful thing now uh, during the pandemic there has been a lot of time of reflection. It's been two decades, twenty years, and going. You have to ask yourself, and now what? You know, like the dreams and all the passion that I started the company with is not the same as for the new generation that has 
other challenges different than the ones that I had. And the new generations is so beautiful to watch. The artists now, they're all working interculturally. Like for them, this is the normal. Yeah. That has been a huge change. I still think that there's a lot of work to do mm. for diversity and BIPOC artists to be where we deserve to be because... I think we were we have worked so hard and we always had to work triple than anybody else to even get a bit of recognition. I remember when I finally got cast by somebody, I would be the only woman like myself in the room. And you open your mouth and you could feel the room, everybody just looking at you. You were the, you were the other and the different one. But that has also given me something that I never knew that it was going to be my path in life, and it was building a community. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. When I, when the company, first we started doing our own place, and I just wanted to be a diva and be able to work, and that happened. But then by 2010, a lot of uh, refugees and newcomers were knocking the door, and, and, and I realized that we needed to build a space for all those artists that were coming into this country. Many of them didn't even speak English. So I went like, oh, we can start producing in more than one language. Why do we have to be limited? When I travel around the world to festivals, they all have subtitles, you know, like pieces that are in another language have subtitles, mm -hmm. right? Like even in theater. So I went, no, we're not going to deny work to anybody because there were people that had to flee a country and arrive here with already a career in the arts. And so you're going, the only thing is because they don't speak the language, but that's not okay when it's so easy to work around that. And then we started working with her titles in theater and I work with, uh, I did um, at the very beginning of that experimentation, we worked with uh, Diana Cho and did this beautiful piece, Red Snow, that we took to Shanghai about the Nanjing massacre, and we did it in um, in in Chinese, written Chinese with her wow. titles, and it was just gorgeous. Mm -hmm. So now I'm I'm about to do a piece also in Arabic and that. So it's like that shouldn't be, you know, nowadays and with all the technology and that that we have, that shouldn't be an excuse. Um, I think what uh, what I'm seeing in the pandemic since since the pandemic is and the cries for for inclusion and equity and that yes more people uh BIPOC people are being asked to come and apply for things or be included which I hope it really continues and is not like mm -hmm. a thing of just yeah. some time but but because what what we have is you know we have a lot to offer and and most of us have worked really, really hard and uh, we just haven't had the opportunities. So for me, to give opportunities to people does, I think, is the thing that gives me the most pleasure and the most happiness. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love connecting people or going, oh my God, this person would be fantastic for this. Or, you know, that, that I don't know, I, that makes me so happy. And I do feel a responsibility because... I was very privileged. I, I arrived in this country. I wasn't escaping from anything. Um, you know, I came to university right away. 
And at that time, they were not charging me these international fees. UBC was like $500 a year. It was ridiculous. I find that I was very fortunate. I didn't come with no knowledge of English. I mean, it took me a long time to, to feel comfortable with it, but I could you know, I could move in the world and go to school. Mm-hmm. And then in theater, I've always also been very fortunate that I have encountered people who have guided me. And so I think it's very important to make sure that you're always helping mm-hmm. others and passing on the knowledge to others, yeah. you know, and opening the doors. Yeah. yeah. So that has been kind of the journey. Yeah, that's yeah, that's crazy. Tell me about your childhood in Colombia. I want to hear about that. <laughs> oh, my childhood, you know, it's like, um, well, it was a beautiful childhood that, you know, I mean, I had many issues, you know, that happened and I didn't realize there were issues until I started becoming an actor and looking at your life and you go, oh, my God, there were a lot of problems. But <laughs> but um, but I was surrounded by love and that's that's. That's the most important thing. And uh, I did lose my mother and uh, when I was two years old and my father. And so I was adopted by my uncle and my aunt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my brother, my sister and I were separated, but, um, but, uh, but not for very long. I mean, we have always been, we actually have um, a very beautiful uh I don't know. It's something that nobody can can break. We we are there for each other, and and uh, we will always be there for each other. And um, but uh, again, when 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 I get ado- adopted by my uncle and my aunt, they had you know they they were well off, and so I was able to go to very good schools, um, to have a very good life, and then. Then I decided to move to Canada. and <laughs> But Colombia is a complicated country. Of course it is. It is, you know, for me it was my country and that's all I knew. Mm-hmm. And uh, But when I arrived here, I also became so aware of the injustices and the violence and the things that were not okay. And I was able, being outside, I was able to look at that place with the best things he has to offer and the things it needs to change. And so I think through my art, I've been, I have tried to talk a lot about that, you know, that, and it allows me, I, I think, I think it's a, it's a gift to have more than one culture mm-hmm. and, and to be able to move between them or more than two, if you can, you know, isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, and I always say like, I was adopted. So it's like, you don't have to love somebody more than the other. You can love all your parents, you know, it's like, right? Like, it's like, mm-hmm. and, and so I use it almost as a joke, but not really. It's like, because I, I worked a lot with youth at some point uh, of my career. You know, we were w- doing a lot of work with youth at Aluna. And there was a pressure from a lot of immigrant or newcomer kids that, you know, the families were dreaming of the home they left and that. And sometimes they were afraid to love Canada and what where they were finding here. And I went, you can love everything. Isn't it amazing to speak two languages? Yeah, I totally understand because I came to Canada when I was only nine. And there were some identity issues, let's just say, when you're really young, you know, trying to fit in here, but still trying to retain your culture, you know, from back home. Yeah, it's a struggle. (laughs) 
is is very difficult and and you know also they begin you begin to lose the language right because especially that young right yeah. and, and and so it is i go no let's work in the two languages and you know and uh because it's a gift it's a gift and 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 what i find is that as an artist i being able to really work with and between the two countries mm-hmm. i have found um I have found a way just again it was life my mother was very sick with alzheimer's mm. and i was the only daughter so um and i was an artist catering to pay my rent and i was going how am i gonna do this oh my god and suddenly one of the trips to colombia i started talking to other theater companies and i come back and the canada council had these grants to go and do collaborations international collaborations and that's how i was able to to be a support to help my mother all the way until she died mm-hmm. i mean the, i always say it was her who c- created these international collaborations for me because <laughs> it was that i needed to go and take care of her and so i found that way and it opened so many doors and it opened so many projects for us and and that we still, you know, we have an international festival now. And that connection of being able to work with countries across the Americas, I, I tell everybody, like, you can still work from with the country that you came from or your family came from. You just, mm-hmm. you know, you just have to make those connections. And, and, and what Canada has, or until now, let's see what the pandemic does, but a lot of resources to do that. Mm-hmm. So, and um, so I, I have felt that, I have had the best of the two worlds because I could I love mm-hmm. living and working here. Yeah. I love it. I miss Canada a lot. I miss Toronto a lot. This is where this is also where I have found myself as myself, not as not the pressure, not cultural pressure, not anything, but who I decide to be. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important thing for me. Um that it is me as an individual who I want to be, what I believe in, what are my values. And I felt that freedom in Canada uh, that I could have that space for me to figure that out. Mm-hmm. The struggle here became, I, you know, I remember the first time I was called a woman of color and I went, what is that? You know, <laughs> at, the be- at the very beginning, I said, what is that? You know, I couldn't understand I, I was going, oh, okay. You know, I never saw myself as different. You know, I I also, when I arrived, uh, I remember when I was working in Vancouver as a research assistant, a person that became a really good friend of mine, and she was lovely. And one day she said to me, I'm so sorry, but at the beginning, I thought you were not very intelligent because you had an accent. I mean, if something said that to me today would be a different thing. But for me, it was going, wait a minute, I speak two languages, you speak one, you know, it's like, right. But, but that, you know, that is somebody who was close to me, who would say that. So imagine if somebody like that, the many obstacles that BIPOC people face and continue to face, I, I, I really think is not done. We're just at the beginning of like saying, okay, this is happening. Saying it out loud because, you know, there are people who have been fighting um, 
uh, oppression and racism and, and voicing these concerns for forever but but now there's going there's kind of okay this conversation is taking place it is really taking place so we just have to make sure it continues yeah. to happen but you know when you were just starting out as a young actress you know in this new country did those disparaging remarks get you down were you you know worried about making a living doing this uh were you worried about disappointing your parents maybe no and you know what happened to me is that i was working a lot because there was nobody else like me you know so in the film industry i was the latina of course they killed me in every episode i was the prostitute i was the the maid i was the screaming mother but i was working and i was learning so of course they would never see me for a role that was not a stereotypical role never right very seldom when i moved to toronto that begins to happen uh the cbc cast me in in street legal as a lawyer that was huge that was huge you know a lawyer from guatemala but a lawyer you mm -hmm. know and so things began to change and also the power came when i decided to do my own work because um I tell my stories. I tell the stories I want to tell. That is the power. Like, I don't like to use the word a lot, power, because it's not about power as most people use it, but is to be able to be sitting at the table, and at the negotiating table. If you can create your own work, that, that makes a huge difference. Because yep. I remember after my first play, it was... Um, you know, I, I mean, it was successful. And I wrote another play that two companies wanted, two big companies in this city. And one offered me that I wanted to direct it because it was about my mother uh, and my mother's journey through Alzheimer's. And nobody knew that story but me. It was like, and, uh, and so one theater offered me that they could give me, I could be the assistant director and then the other one offered this very uh, famous and successful man offered to direct, but I wasn't involved in the piece. And I just went, no. I said no to both. The first one, because I said, if I give this chance to direct my own work, I'm never going to be hired in this town to direct. And to this, to this day, I have created all the opportunities for myself. And it's not only being diverse, it's also being a woman. And <laughs> in the arts, you know, is, um, I hope that is also changing. But, but uh, women in theater in this country, regardless of, of the color of your skin, it's been a, it's been a, it's a struggle, right? To be, to, to be considered that you're a good director, that you're a good producer, that you're, you know, and I have a lot of faith in the new generation. I have a lot of faith. And mm -hmm. I think all these things have a, a great possibility of changing. But I also, I wouldn't want to change anything. I love being the master of my own creations. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I love that I can say, because Aluna is, 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 is an independent company. We are small, but we're not so small that we have an operating budget, which means we have a salary that we can live from of what we do. Um, but 
is small enough that I don't have to compromise my artistic vision mm. because I don't have donors giving me a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars to do this, but there are conditions to that. Audiences of big theaters that they, they, they have to cater to the kind of audiences that go to the theater. For me, the theater should be seen by everybody. And nowadays I'm fighting a lot going like, we have just gone through a pandemic that is not even over. This may be a reality for a while in different stages. People are starving all over the world. People, you know, like it's difficult. I am not interested in making theater for the elite. I'm not. So, uh, you know, if you're charging $60 for a ticket, and that's just a, a number that many people charge, that's a lot of money for a lot of people. So what we're doing is that then theater is not, is not available to the people. Really, it isn't, you know. And again, to the immigrants, to the newcomers, to, you know, um, because if you go to theater, most likely you have to find a babysitter or you will have to pay for some, uh, you go out for a dinner that night. Maybe you have to pay parking lot. It becomes a very expensive night. And so all these theaters are going, we need more BIPOC audiences and that. Well, first of all, you have to tell stories that those people care about, that talk about them and their lives in Canada. You know, first of all, you have to include them. They have to be written by those people because, you know, it's like, and, but, and, and you have to make it available to the people and understand that, and and with um, these times, you know, it's going to take a lot for everybody to recover, you know, for governments to recover. The, the, the crazy thing is that the, the rich, the millionaires in this world have gotten so, so absurdly rich during this time. So all these inequities are, are becoming so... They're so in our faces that it's so sad, you know. But I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I always have to think about the opportunities and the positive. If I think of the negative, I could never move. Like I wouldn't be able to do anything. And yeah. I do have hope. Yeah, I have so much hope. Mm-hmm. There's a beautiful song that I love, a, a, a Colombian song that says. La esperanza es lo último que se pierde. Hope is the last thing you lose. And I and I and I I work from that. There are many times that I want to give up. Oof. A lot of times. Hmm. I want to give up. I'm tired. I go, why can't this company after all this time, all this work, why can't we have enough money to pay people and to pay them well? Like, you know, always because until now, the, the, the system has supported some BIPOC artists and companies, but they have always kept us at a level that is way under what any other Canadian company gets as an as a, as a annual budget, which means we're always, um, we never have the human resources because, you know, we can only hire maybe one or two people, like all of those things, while well, those people have 50 people in staff, mm-hmm. you know, those other companies. So, so... It's not that, and then they go, oh, it's just that they don't do good work and that. No, look, if you can, first of all, I think the pandemic has also showed that you have to pay people and you have to pay them well. 
You have to. These things that artists work for no money or that you, um, we all work seven days a week for years. I've been doing that for two decades and I, oh I'm goodness. not willing to do it. I'm not willing to do it anymore. I go, why? You know, why? Mm -hmm. You know, like the people in the big companies don't do that. Right. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's like they go home, in May, you know, uh, and so, but I say that now, but I love every minute of it because the difference for us has been that we have always done what we believed in and we have not done it for money. We have done it because we felt that it was important that the community needed us, that that there's this exciting generation coming behind that they need the support and the opportunities and we want to work to make it happen for them. And we also want to work so that they are not, um, it's not that they need to depend on us. Like Aluna can be the beginning for somebody, but hopefully they can be hired by anybody. And we have had fun. We have worked hard, but uh, the people that I have met in my life, I have traveled to so many places in the world that I could have never have done that mm -hmm. if it wasn't because of theater. And uh, I met amazing human beings and um, and people who want to, to change things that are not okay in the world. And, and that's, that's, that's a good place to be, you know, being surrounded by those people. Mm -hmm. When you look back, there seem to be so many things that you never expected that just happened organically. What do you think is your personality trait that caused all this to happen? Oh, I don't know. Is uh, stubbornness. Yeah. Stubbornness. I wanted something and I was not going to give up, you know. And, uh, and I always say I work 300% for what I want. But... I accept how life tells me is going to be because I may work for a dream and then that dream is not as I anticipated it, mm -hmm. but, but I accept and follow what life gives me and the direction is showing me because, you know, I wanted to be an actor, but I just wanted to work in Hollywood and that, you know, I never expected that doing that first play that we did was going to mean that we would start building a community and building a theater that was to to promote and to and to build the next generation but that was the best gift ever <laughs> so so I go you do the work you do it and then life you respect what life presents and and that's what you follow mm -hmm. but um yeah no I tell you and and and, and that you're human there are many days you won't want to get up and, and, and to keep fighting for something. But then you get an email or a phone call of somebody. Oh, my God. You know, thank you so much. What you, you know, this meant so much to me. And you go, oh, my God. And now they have this. You go, that's why we do it. Because when you see that those seeds that you planted actually have made a difference for people then you go then then it's okay and I think all journeys are full of challenges full of them I think you have to be true to yourself and that's not easy 
sometimes to figure out and uh, and really you got to know what your values are. Like, what are you willing, you know? I think for me, and maybe it's my Colombian side, like, or my, 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 my upbringing, not compromise what you believe in. Hmm. That was like, and and the more I was had the challenge of being a, a woman of color, BIPOC, and that being thrown at me, the ang- I got really angry, but anger in a good way that I said, I will show them. You know, it was like, that's what propelled me to keep going. I'm going, I'm not giving up. Mm-mm-mm. I'm going to do it. And I don't know how, I'm going to do it, right? Because that injustice, injustice is the thing that makes me angry and sick. To extremely sick of anger when I witnessed that. So that propelled me. That that was. I don't. I don't think that everything has to be like that. I wish it wasn't. Because people don't have to go through that. Why? Mm-hmm. But it was the biggest lesson. I'm going. Uh-uh. I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna do it my way, and I'm gonna build. Therefore, I'm gonna build what is important to me. Because, you know, and that started to give me as a person going, who am I? What do I believe in? What are my values? You know, it's like, I I remember things when it was like, you know, when I wanted to be an actor and any commercial and that, and you were so happy. Oh my God, I got an audition for a commercial. But I started going like, what is the product that I'm going to advertise? Like, I know it's money, but, you know, your face is selling something. Do you believe in that? You know, and uh, and for me, that was another thing with, with film and TV. I, I, I At some point, I stopped doing it because I said, I don't want that world. I don't want that world anymore. Uh, it's so fake and it's so the industry. I was not interested and I was not interested how my people were portrayed mm-hmm. or how we were treated in an auditions or how we were treated on the set and um and as a woman I said I won't put myself through that through every time you walk into a room you wear a piece of meat and nothing else you know so um I said nope I'm gonna learn from the great actresses in the world and get on this stage because I want to last until I'm 90 years old and I'm gonna work until I cannot work anymore. I'm going to be on the stage. And so, I mean, again, things are beginning. Women, some more women are beginning to produce and change the narrative a little bit, but it's a struggle. Still, you see the images that women have to maintain. Yeah. All, you know, it's it's absurd, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just go... So, I also said, I remember once, one of my agents said that maybe I should get some Botox and then I went... No, no. The, she wanted me to audition for a Botox commercial. And I said, no. I said, no, because I don't believe in that. I don't care if somebody else does it. You know what somebody does is not my business. But for me, I went, no, I want to age and I want to age as who I am. Yeah. And, and that's not easy for a woman. You know, we're all so critical of our bodies, of this and that. And it's not that it's easy. You think I like it? My wrinkles? No. But I go, no, I won't do that. I won't, I won't do that. And so, so it's, you know, like 
those challenges make you go, who are you and what you want to, you know? Right. And so yeah. I think they're great teachers. They're great teachers. Another thing I'm really curious about is, um, especially for young actors and actresses, you know, when they're just starting out, they kind of want to latch onto any opportunity. But yeah. at a certain point, like you, you know, you went through this experience, you got sick of the roles that were thrown at you. Yeah. How can you make it in your field on your own terms? Doing your own work. <laughs> I mean, that's that's part of the of the power there. I mean, okay, so I imagine myself back in the time, and uh, I still, even when I was acting, and because my first ten years I couldn't get work in theater here, not at all, not for fifteen years, you know. So I work a lot on film and TV, but I made it my own, you know, like I. I was never the stereotypical. I wasn't really the Latina the way they imagine it, you know. And I kept very truthful to myself in that way, um, trying to do what what the, the acting is about is finding the truth, right, and being able to transmit this truth for others to be able to receive something and maybe find that they're not alone in life. That that that's part of the human behavior. Um, I find TV doesn't have very good roles, period. I mean, I, you know, like, but once in a while you get to work with great people and, um, and it's important to learn. Like at the beginning, I, I was getting roles, but I was also working a lot as a standing. I wanted to watch great actors work. I just wanted to watch and watch and watch, you know, I would be on set and I just like, I never went I wanted to be, I would find a little corner and if I wasn't bothering anybody, nobody would say anything. And I just wanted to watch everything and learn. That's, that's, that's. Um, but yeah, it's hard to give advice eh? because times all, also change and it's very personal. I also don't say to people that if they want to work in that, that they shouldn't do it. That's up to anybody to do it. But um, as an artist... Always go for the truth and for the truth in yourself. If there are things that don't feel right, probably you shouldn't do them. Go with your guts. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And there are things like there's also no, every actor cannot play every role. That's the biggest lie. You know, there are things that you connect to. Others you have to work really hard and try and find where where is it in yourself that you can connect. But... um but hopefully, hopefully you have the support that you can say when you see that a situation is not okay, that you say no to it. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard, but you have to have support around you as well, you know, like, because, you know, sometimes you say no to something and everybody goes, are you crazy? But, you know, then there's that little friend or something that comes and goes, no, you were right. You know, it's like, and then it, life proves to you that you were right. But it's very hard to say no. It's very hard. It's yeah. very hard. I, um, and and maybe have a very clear mind of what you're doing. Like, I wanted to learn. So I said, whatever role comes to me, even if it is two lines, I'm going to give it all. Give it all because I was practicing. I was practicing my craft. So I think if you have a goal in mind, I always say, you know, when, when younger people say, we have to do these horrible jobs and that's it, like, like even catering and that is it. If you think of catering as a means to get to where you're going, like 
taking courses, taking classes, getting better, then it's okay. You won't even feel it. You know, it's like, but if you don't have a vision of where you're going and, and it's, I've been fortunate. I don't know where my vision came from, but I had a vision. Mm -hmm. And vision is a very hard thing to for some people to find. But that's what keeps you going with you going. That's where I'm going. Uh, uh, I would say sometimes, and I still say it, if I want something, I'm going to say it out loud. I have to put it out loud and really put it out there in space. Because when I do, I start taking steps towards making that happen. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I want to do this and that. But, okay, what are the steps to get there? And people think that it's like, oh, I just do this and get there. No, it means that you need 10 years of getting training, then get the 10 years to get there, mm -hmm. right? So yep. it's, right? But but you have that vision and uh, and it guides you because that's what keeps you on the path, mm -hmm. I think. But I also, I feel that you can never give advice to anybody. <laughs> you can all, only share your experience because each of us are such a unique individual that what works for me doesn't work for somebody else. But uh, I, I think when you have values and, and go for the truth in everything, you're in a pretty good place. Mm -hmm because that will will protect you mm -hmm. you know that and 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 you know when you're lying to yourself you know it's a horrible feeling <laughs> when you take a job that really you go oh my god I'm doing things that I shouldn't and we all have done it right like things that you go you know and and it's hard even to this at this point that I can choose my roles it's hard for me to say no because I want to do it all. And sometimes that's not okay, you know? So so there's another side to it as well that is like now I'm in a position that I built. Nobody gave it to me. I built the position to be in this place right now in my life that I can choose the, the works that I do. Mm -hmm. But now lots of but choices too. <laughs> you have to learn to say no. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because we're not super, super we, uh, humans. No, you have to learn to say no. And that's, and we're so afraid in the arts. It's so hard to say no to something because, you know, because you want to do it, right? But sometimes you have to because if you cannot give your all to something because you're so divided between so many different things, you're you're not... It's not good for anybody. It's not good for you and it's not good for that project. I I believe very much in giving all of you to a part. Um, when I open a play, you know, the, the rehearsal process are very intense. And when you open a play, you only perform at night. As a performer, I prepare myself all day long. I don't, you know, it's not that I, some people say, I can start working once we open. I go, Oh my God, when we open is when the work begins. And I start, I prepare myself five hours before I go on that stage. I read the script again. I go over the lines completely. I, I, I warm up my body. I warm up my voice, you know, is, 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 is my job, right? So, so because also when you give yourself completely, you enjoy it so much. You know? Yeah, you're like, like in the zone. 
when you're divided, it's so hard. And we all sometimes have to do so many things to, to make it happen. But, but when you have the luxury to be able just to give it all, it's mm -hmm. fantastic. Excellent. Before I let you go, I kind of want to hear about what you have planned for this year in Aluna Theatres and what people can look forward to. Okay, well, hopefully we will be opening the house of Bernarda Alba at Bad Times in April. It's the great classic by Garcia Lorca. Um, then we're doing the Festival Rutas International. We do it in October. I'm also working in other beautiful projects. I'm doing, I'm doing Rubble by Subendra Nilena. It's about Gaza. And uh, it's a, a very, very beautiful. We're developing it now. And, when, and uh, we're hoping to open at the beginning of 2023. And uh, I'm developing a new project. I'm developing many new projects. So I'm, I'm in a lot of developing new things. I'm working with Nightwood Theatre in a, another beautiful piece about um, the Kurdish women fighters. Uh, so a lot of interesting things. And, and uh, this week I'm working with a piece called Las Meninas with these amazing jazz musicians. And I am not a jazz musician, but it's between trying <laughs> to find that, you know, mixing music, jazz with theater. And so it's all an exploration and very exciting. And, uh, and hopefully we will be able to be live again yeah. this year. Yeah. Well, I look forward to hopefully seeing your productions live. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today, Beatrice. Thank you, Sissy. And thank you for doing this interview. I truly appreciate it. That was Beatrice Pisano, founder and artistic director of Aluna Theatre. Be sure to check out alunatheatre.ca for their upcoming performances and events. And if you like what you just heard, please do subscribe to my podcast and head over to cc-wan.com, that's S-I-S-S-I-W-A-N-G.com for more interviews like this one, plus read about the guests you just heard and see pictures from the interviews. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. Until next time. <laughs>